Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to another episode of Around the Coin. Today I interviewed Dan Martell, the CEO and founder of SaaS Academy, as well as High Speed Ventures. Dan is a serial entrepreneur, having built multiple multi-million dollar tech companies starting at the age of 17. I learned a lot about Dan's early history, which was quite tumultuous and difficult and gave him a lot of the fuel that's helped him become successful in building SaaS Academy and the businesses that he has. Today, he runs uh, a large SaaS coaching business uh, called SaaS Academy. And we talked about how he structured uh, really his life after selling clarity to startups.com. He started making videos online and that turned into coaching requests and he scaled up that business. So I learned a lot about how he structured the business. They have over a thousand clients now, and he's estimated to have a couple thousand soon. So really a difficult and impressive human capital business. Uh, we talked also about him buying SaaS companies, his general philosophy and views on business growth, uh, as well as some tactics on growing SaaS companies. So I hope you enjoy the show as much as I did. Dan is an incredibly inspiring person for me personally, and uh, I learned a lot. So if you have any feedback for us, please send it over and share on all of your favorite social media channels. The show today is sponsored by Otter Labs at HireOtter.com. You can sign up and check out software developers for your existing startup. If you have a small team of three people or even a big team of 200, 300 plus HireOtter.com at Otter Labs is a great option to find software developers for remote teams. Specifically, Otter Labs has a community of over 1,200 developers down in Argentina, and they help connect the exact developer that you need for your project for long-term permanent placements. So it's a great option. It's on the same time zone as the U.S., and it's quite inexpensive compared to uh, local software developers. So check out HireOtter.com. And with that, I hope you enjoy the show with Dan Martell CEO, founder of SAS Academy. All right. So uh, just like that, we are live. I'm excited to be chatting with Dan Martell today, the creator of SAS Academy and partner at High Speed Ventures. Uh, I, we were talking a little bit of pre-show, but I had met you briefly at a Summit at Sea event. And I think at the time you were running or had, had uh, maybe just sold Clarity FM which was uh, a great product. Actually, a product I, I use. I, I uh, both call people and get calls on, uh, now part of uh, startups.com. You know, I'd love to learn a little bit about your journey, Dan, um, wherever you feel it's most relevant to jump in. Well, yeah, Mike, I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Um, 
I'll, I'll give the highlight reel, what yeah. I call success theater, and then we'll dive into kind of like the, the real, you know, the, the meat and potatoes. Um, success so theater. yeah, it is. It's true. You see yes. people are like, tell me about yourself. It's like, I'm a Canadian, <laughs> so it's weird to, to brag, but you know, today <laughs> I run the largest coaching uh, group in the world. I have over a thousand clients in my coaching program, SAS Academy and boardroom and growth accelerator. So there's that part of my world. I've got high speed ventures, which is my own kind of like holdings company for acquiring SaaS companies that I that I buy and operate and scale. So I have a team there. And then um, I've got this part of my life that's called the creators, which is uh, working with at-risk youth. So my whole philosophy is um, I help rich people get richer. And then I take some of that capital and I help um, you know uh, teenagers build their confidence through building businesses. So that's, mm. that's who I am today. Um, you know, the journey has been long. I've been building software companies now for 24 years. Um, you know, long story short, I, I learned to code in rehab at 17 years old. Um, you know, I grew up in a really tough childhood, um, diagnosed with ADHD when I was 11. My mom was an alcoholic, got put into foster care when I was 12, pretty much grew up in the system, addicted to drugs as a teenager, and then, um, almost took my life, um, from a high speed chase, uh, resulting in me pulling a handgun and, um, hoping the police would do their job and take my life. So it's been kind of crazy. I, I, I did 11 mm-hmm. months of, you know, therapy working on myself, um, at 17 and got sober. And it was at the end of that program that I found this like yellow book on Java programming that became my new addiction. And then entrepreneurship, I'd always been entrepreneurial. My dad always joked that if I could just find something I was passionate about that wasn't illegal, he thought I'd do pretty <laughs> good with my life. So that's, that's the connection for the at-risk youth stuff I do, which yeah. is, has been a big part. So, um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm just super grateful for being alive. Yeah. I believe that, you know, um, I've, somebody was looking out for me and I'm here to honor uh, my creator in trying to be an example of, of what they saw in the possibility. And I wake up every day just trying to uh, shine my light as bright as possible. And that's kind of what drives me. Yeah, yeah, totally. And what was the, what was the introduction to the Java book, that yellow book? Did somebody just say, hey, man, get into yeah, programming? Yeah, great question. So the rehab center I went to was called Portage. It was on the east coast of Canada, middle of nowhere. It was an old church camp. And in one of the cabins, um, I was helping Rick, the maintenance guy, clean out. Um, you know, there was like the main two buildings where we like slept and then where the school stuff was done. But then there's like three other cabins. One of the cabins um, must have been like kind of just used as like a computer room. And there was this old 486 computer with the yellow books next to it. So, um, yeah, I just opened it up and started reading it. And, you know, I never touched a computer prior to that moment. But there was just something about it that spoke to me. You know, because it, it read like English. If anybody's ever looked at JavaScript mm. or Java, it's not like ones and zeros and hexadecimal numbers. Like I always thought like computer programming was like this really complicated thing, but it actually reads like English. And, you know, I, I think what happened is I, after getting the computer to say hello world, um, it created this kind of like uh, unnecessary confidence. <laughs> like I thought I was like a computer genius, an <laughs> undiscovered computer genius. Um, turns out I'm not, but you know, that's, that's what got me into building software. And I did that, uh, probably wrote code. I built the first version of clarity, like prototyped it. Um, so that was, you know, 15 years of 
being kind of a technical co-founder and but i but people know me yeah. today as like a marketing business most people don't even know i, I used to write code right because I'm, I'm more talking about like strategy and business and growth um but yeah i, I cut my teeth um self-teaching you know i bought like my dad gave me an unlimited budget to buy computer books. And I pretty much spent the following two years reading $3,000 worth of architecture design, software programming, database, um, all the programming languages of their time. Um, you know, most people have never heard of Cold Fusion. I thought it was one of the most beautiful programming languages of the internet. So yeah, that's, that's... And what's funny is that a lot of the way I look at scaling companies today is through the lens of software architecture and object-oriented design, which most people don't know. But I can literally correlate everything I do in my businesses to philosophy of software architecture. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot about the different ways that people's minds work. And it's kind of interesting that your attraction to software at a young age, presumably you, did, you had no idea at the time like many people, that the internet would be so prosperous, that there'd be so much economic was, opportunity yeah, on the internet. This, this was 96, 97 when I discovered computers. And, yeah. you know, I, again, it's just time. Like, I literally got out, I got introduced to this guy named Chris. He had a software startup. He raised $1.2 He needed a programmer. And the way he found me was brilliant, is he put his business card inside of a Perl programming book. And it said, if you're reading this, call me. Hmm, that is smart. So I bought the book. I mean, think about that. That's just brilliant, right? So bought the book, called Chris. Hey, I bought this book, sorry, business card. And he's like, can we do lunch? And he convinced me to join his startup. And that's kind of my introduction to the internet and kind of got into it through through that lens. So he went to the library or the bookstore and just stuck his card in a bunch of those books? It was in a, it was in a bookstore. Yeah. It was That's in certain smart. programming languages that he was, I think one of action script, Perl, a few others, he put his business cards. You, could, you probably wouldn't be able to get away with it today, but yeah. uh, I just love the hustle in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course, like today, there's just translations, you know, there's just different tools, but the same same fundamental tricks, which is just yeah. interesting to sort of understand that. Uh, yeah, so I think... I've I've long held the belief that people have different predispositions of their mind. Like they are either really good at uh, uh, understanding the way that computers are structured and then manipulating those through code, and they tend to to follow that career path, becoming better and better and better, and more senior as they go. And sometimes they will will outpace the actual coding, and they'll become engineering managers and VPs and CTOs. And that seems like a, a clear trajectory. People who switch, like yourself, where you've dove deep into computer science and then switch now into very much marketing and thinking about the science of people and products, was there a friction? I mean, did you personally experience like a, um, you know, I, I, sometimes I feel fatigued. I went to school for mechanical engineering, learned computer science young but never loved it. Like I never felt when I was programming, like I was in the flow. I always felt like I was kind of moving through quicksand a little bit, but more so when I think about business and the way the world is structured and high level things, I feel like I can just move quicker intellectually. And I don't know if you've experienced um, like a, a more prolific path, whether you're coding or working with people, or do you somehow merge the two in your mind thinking about like people are just, you know, yeah, I'm curious what you what you react to that. Yeah, I mean, I think what's happened is I've just connected the philosophy of software that I fell in love with. Like, you know, there's this concept called dry, which is do not repeat yourself, right? So, you know, I would love if I could tell somebody 
here's our philosophy around things or here's our vision for the business. And that would be like locked in stone forever. And I never need to repeat myself. Unfortunately, that's just not the case, right? Like people are completely different than software. But what, what is analogous is, is um, you know, the idea of creating frameworks and curriculum and, and methodologies that can then be transferred to people. So I think what's happened is over the years, I've kind of taken the parts of software that I love and, and architecture design and then ask myself, well, how does this translate into an organizational development model, right? Like, how does marketing map to this? How does sales map to this? How does, um, you know, culture map to this, the people side of the business? And um, I've been able to kind of like find my flow in this new creative outlet. So the canvas mm. is different, but the brush is probably the same in regards to the way I look at it and kind of create. But I'm not writing code anymore. But man, I used to like, you know, lose myself in writing software. Yeah. And, and now I lose myself in creating, you know, for my coaching clients, I, I always, you know, one of the things that I get to do today that I love with a thousand clients is, and it's cool because it serves high speed ventures. So high speed ventures, essentially my, like people think I, I, I never planned this. I just started coaching after I sold my last company um, because I created a YouTube channel. So I started a YouTube channel. My, one of my beliefs in life is you teach everything you know. And I put it out on YouTube. And after 100 videos, my inbox was filled every day with people that wanted to work with me. And I just didn't have a way for them to work. So it started with that. And then I realized, well, if I want to do that, I got to get good at it. So then I hired a coach because you know I've always had business coaches. And you know now working with a coach to teach me how to coach, which sounds super meta, but you know, understanding how to communicate the the theory behind adult learning theory and like uh, model design and um, curriculum design and all these things just was this like in video, like how do you communicate on video? How do you tell story? Right. These are all things that I wasn't great at. And, you know, I still think I'm only okay at, but I decided to go down on the mastery level of that knowing because my, my, the biggest, the bigger vision I always had was, you know, how do I run a company of 50, 75, 100,000 people, right? Like th that was that was always in my reality and my spirit is like, I need to become the person who can deal with that level of challenges and communication and people. So it's interesting for me to kind of take a detour from b company building to then coaching, not realizing as a coach, I'm now going to be indirectly responsible for, geez, if I look at the amount of clients, team members my clients have like i only coach mm -hmm. three private now but at one point let's say that i had about 50 that i was involved in their team sizes was about that right like these are big companies a couple hundred 300 employees each so you know and now i'm doing it at high speed where we buy mm -hmm. these companies and we operate them and you know and we're, we're that that company's been taking a lot of my time because we're, we're hiring a head of acquisition and a head of talent and um but yeah, man, that's like that's been the through line between all of it. Was just like, how do I become the person who can deal with a higher level of of organizational challenge? Yeah, and the high speed came after. So presumably, you sat there and you said, "I want to be a coach to impact people," because you had the the flow of people coming in from the YouTube channel after teaching on YouTube. Did you intuitively feel like you needed a coach because there was more to it than you could? bite off comfortably. I mean, when you were talking to founders at that point, you're teaching on YouTube. Presumably, you have a lot to say. I'm sure you would have been a decent coach there anyways. How did you know to hire somebody in the first place? I mean, you could have just well, I think, gone down that road. I think there's a difference between... Prior to that, I knew how I did it. 
right, Mike? Mm. So like, there's a difference between like you running a company and executing and sharing your perspective. That's, that's like just, you know, like, um, you know, in, in EO, they call it like uh, experience shares. Okay. Mm. So I could experience share, but that's not coaching. Coaching is understanding how to have you come to the realization and then ask the right questions in the right sequence and then communicate my philosophy around the outcome using my story as the glue, but the model as the portable framework that you can then take back to your team to get a result. That skill set, I knew it. I just knew enough that I didn't know how to do that. And my belief in this, I think the reason why I've had so much success is I've always seek the best people in the thing that I'm doing. So it doesn't matter if I'm building a software company or a marketplace with clarity or whatever. Like I reached out to the best in the world at that thing to try to reverse engineer what was the patterns of success. Um, so when I started coaching, I just knew I didn't know anything about coaching. So I like made a list of the top 10 coaches in the world and, you know, bugged them until they would take a phone call and the ones that I could hire, I hired them and, you know, tried to figure out what did they all have in common to kind of create something. Cause I guess I just didn't want, you know, there's a real responsibility as a coach that, you know, you could be harmful when you think you're helping. Yeah. Right. Same as a therapist, right? Yeah, exactly. So there's a difference between me putting out content and letting people kind of consume and interpret. That's fine. But if you're going to invest in yourself and work with me, I felt like it was just a responsibility I had to improve my skill level. And I knew that doing that was going to make me better as an operator in the future. So even though I wasn't ready to start another company because I had young kids and I wanted to kind of focus on other things, um, like write, write some more books, do some more videos, et cetera. I wanted to kind of give, I was more, you know, I think in life you start off as like security, then stability, then success, and then eventually significance, right? There's these four layers. And I was kind of at this, like, I want my life to mean something level. So I, it was less about building another company and more about, you know, supporting other people to, to get to their dreams and outcomes. And then what's funny is as I did that, I then realized I was missing this part of building a business for myself. And as a coach, I always used to make fun of, you know, overweight life coaches, right? Cause like a little bit of disintegrity there, right? There's, there's a lack of integrity. So that's where, you know, I was like, I'll just buy some companies and then I'll build a whole company around and I'll run like 50 companies. So then I'll be an even better coach for my clients because every day I'm doing the things I'm trying to tell them to do. So it's like real time as the world moves. Right. Interesting. So you're, you're, you didn't go out and buy 50 companies when you were a single coach. Did you grow the coaching business by hiring other people and explaining the philosophy and having them be the coaches? I imagine you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have on the coaching, on SaaS coach side of my life, that's what we call that entity. I've got, I think, 50 some people that work on that team. Um, I'm the CEO, but I don't run the company. There's leaders in each department. And we have, I think, 15 coaches that support the groups. Um, yeah, I mean, Hmm. it's, it's kind of this thing. Like I get a lot of people in the coaching space that come to me because they've seen, you know, what we've created and they want to know, but they think there's some magic. And I, and I just keep telling them like, I knew how to scale companies before I started coaching. So what you're seeing is the byproduct of me just implementing what I teach. And I just, that's Hmm. why I have a problem with an overweight Hmm. life coach. It's like, if you're teaching it yeah. and you're not modeling it, then I think it's, it's, it's lacks integrity. So when I started coaching, um, and I'm teaching somebody how to create a demand engine 
then I need a great demand engine. And like, if I'm going to teach you how to build out a sales team, I need a sales team. If I'm going to teach you how to build a customer success team, I need a world-class customer success team. So what's fun for me is on the SaaS coach side, I tell my team every day, like, you're not building for us to be successful. You're building to be successful, to be an example for our clients. And if you can't solve these problems, then how are we supposed to show up and explain to our clients when we can't do it ourselves? So I hope you aren't okay with being a hypocrite because I'm not. So we need to dive in to fix these problems, right? So like solving, so that's why it's, you know, we've grown that business for the last five years, you know, doubled every year, compounded, right? And and I don't, like, I see a day when we'll have five or 6,000 clients. Like, yeah. that's just the way it's going to be. Yeah, yeah. And the, uh, the the coaching, do you do you see the desire, the need, the reason that someone comes to you or comes to one of the coaches that, that works for you? Are they looking for tactical, operational, business uh, insight and tips, advice, uh, guidance, or are they more looking for interpersonal, um, you know, it blends therapy sometimes because it's stressful. So you need somebody to talk to as a founder, you know, there's no one to complain to, you know, you can't complain to your, your wife, your husband, your investors, your coworkers, a lot of those people, they're biased, right? So you can't be directly truthful, which is the benefit of someone that has a singular relationship with you that's just receiving and just to help you. So I think of that, that role is, is, is therapy, but then I don't know how, how quite conceptually how to place coaching because there's say an instructor, a professor, maybe in a typical institutional setting, like a college where they're here to teach you knowledge. You know, they want to instruct you as to how to go about learning this technique. And it coaching seems to be a kind of blend of those. I, I'm curious where where you see people on that spectrum or if it's just all so, over. So there's two there's two parts to this. The first thing is like in any business, you got to meet your market where they're at, right? So I call I call this the chocolate. So why do the initial come to me? Because they have a problem in their life, you know, we've identified five key pain buttons and when they have those pains, they somehow discover something I've put out there to the world. That's the chocolate. They want to solve the problem. But when they kind of come into my world and eventually become a client, that's when we start working on the broccoli, right? But if I lead with the broccoli, the market's going to be uh, one one hundredth of the size that I could create. So it's it's give them what they uh, they want and then deliver what they need. In regards to mm. what they need, the way I've looked at it, because I just created programs for myself. Like if I go back as an eighteen year old software entrepreneur, what would I have wanted? Right. Cause I've had coaches. I've had, I've gone to training seminars. Like I've invested, you know, probably a million dollars in myself, you know, in different things. And I would say, and then this is what we do. I'm very deliberate about this. Um, they come because of the content. They want the frameworks, the growth strategies, the playbooks. I've created over 350 growth playbooks with templates, examples, worksheets, training, um, very tactical. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is all around four core pillars, attract, convert, expand, scale. That's the ACES model. Each pillar has three accelerators. And within that, there's dozens of playbooks to execute to get results. So that's the content side. Mm. They come for the content, but they win because of the coaching. Right. And the coaching, if you think about it, is not the instruction on how to do that's, that's in the playbooks. The coaching is context. Right. You know, cause you can go watch all my YouTube videos and feel very informed, but still not take action. So, Hmm. The way we do it, because we're not therapists, and I, and I train my coaches on this, because I had to learn it myself, and I coach my coaches, 
is our job is to ask the right question that gets the person to the direction that you know they should be going towards, but you can't tell them. As soon as you're prescriptive, it's kind of like a team, right? If you have something that yeah. works for you, you tell them what to do and it doesn't work. They blame you because the strategy didn't work. If you ask questions that get them clear on the next action and they make a commitment to that and it doesn't work, it's not your fault. It's their fault. So what our coaches do is they coach context and extract sequencing and prioritization and mindset, right? So for example, one of the co- questions my coaches asked often is somebody bought your business tomorrow, Mike, what would, what are the first three things they would change? Certainly what right? I do I don't when need I to wake know up. the answer yeah. to that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that answer will uncover opportunity that you know is there, but you're not willing to look at. So you need somebody mm. to ask yourself that question to get clarity, to understand your context, to then prescribe the frameworks, pattern match against that and hold you accountable to executing. And that's yeah. the second part, which is coaching. So, so they come for the content, they win because of the coaching, and then they stay because of the community. Right. So the mm. reason why my program is different than people hiring a coach one-on-one, which I've done, is I've worked with incredible coaches that I know have other amazing clients and I get ever get to meet them. They never organize a dinner for us to all meet each other. And like there would have been so much value to me and their lives if we just had the opportunity to break bread and share stories and feel connected. But for whatever reason, that coach's business model didn't support that. So mm-hmm. my whole philosophy is not only am I going to give you the world's most powerful frameworks to grow your business, not only am I going to give you the access to the best coaches in the world. And literally like my product coach, for example, Marcos came from this, the private equity. Like he, he was responsible for a billion and a half dollars worth of pricing and packaging and changes. You know, Arit came from Gainsight. She's our CS coach. She's world-class, right? So like not only will you have access to the best coaches and those are more tactical coaches, we call it versus uh, success coaches. Mm-hmm. But we also want to create the space for you to feel part of a community of, of shared values, of shared challenges, of shared journey. And that's why we do three events a year, right? And that's true for all my programs. Each one of my three different programs that are more for startup to mid, mid-size to larger, like 10 million plus SaaS, um, those are components that are part of those programs. So again, I, I hopefully you can see like I think through frameworks all the yeah. time. And it doesn't matter if I'm building a coaching business or a software company. Um, or a nonprofit, honestly, it's the same, same approach. Yeah. And so I, I imagine this kind of developed, right? You're, you're coaching people individually in the beginning, and then you hire someone, you learn more about the structure of, uh, or techniques, models of coaching people. Then you think, okay, cause there is a lot of coaches out there already. And even coaching as a category, call it is, is relatively new. And there's people that that coach all different categories of business, but you say, let's, let's draw a line around SaaS. Uh, I imagine B2B that's a pretty SaaS. B2B SaaS. Is it just B2B SaaS? And then yep. say, uh, and then say, you want to find other coaches to, to, to leverage the knowledge that you have about how to coach. Cause you can only, you know, you only have so many hours in the day. <clears throat> uh, were there receptive coaches out there? What was your technique to, find other people to coach under because it's, um, do you, uh, before, I, before I even, discovered, hmm. yeah, go ahead. Go Mike. Ahead. I was just going to say that sometimes I, I feel coaching is a, it's a vague, people don't understand what it entails. Uh, it, it, it's not sort of maybe regulated. It's not certified in, in a way that's, um, academically 
you know, in the way that say, uh, psychology or, uh, you know, therapy is, is, um, you know, you can get a license for it. So coach, not to say it's not valuable, but because it's new, uh, there's ambiguity, ambiguity as to where, what exactly it is. So you, you find these folks and then teach them your process. How did you find people? Like, how did you actually grow? So the, the, the way I think about the way I scale my coaching company, again, it's no different than what I do in any business. So there's this framework I teach called the buyback principle. Okay. And the buyback principle is a first principle approach to scaling companies so that you don't uh, build a business that you grow to hate. Hmm. Okay. And the way it works is you don't hire somebody to add capacity to your business. You hire somebody to buy back time out of your calendar. So when you asked me, like, how did you scale the coaching company? Through the same lens of systematically looking at my calendar for the opportunity for me to buy low value, low energy items out of my calendar for somebody else to do, that was the sequence, right? Mm. So it didn't start with the coaches. It started with the administrative functions, obviously. And then it moved into the marketing functions, then the sales functions, and then eventually the coaching component, and then eventually the leadership component. I call this the replacement ladder, right? And if you follow that model, the reason why, again, it's a first principles approach to investing in your business is that it will unlock so much for you because you're investing the least amount of dollars to buy the most amount of time out of your calendar to take away the stuff that you hate to do anyway that sucks your energy. And at every stage of doing this, as the business grows, your love for the business grows, which is typically the opposite of what entrepreneurs experience. Most entrepreneurs Mm. grow until they hit a pain line. And that's different for everybody. But usually it's about a million and a half in revenue, 12 employees. And at the pain line, they do one of three things. They either sabotage their business to to fail or go back. They stall because they don't want to grow anymore because it hurts. Or they decide to sell the business because they don't want to become the person who can deal with those new sets of problems. Right? So I teach this to my clients, but I, I, the philosophy is the same. So when, when I think of that, that I uh, apply to my coaching business, when, when I was looking at bringing in other coaches to coach my clients, I didn't need, so most people that are great artists or practitioners typically are not good at other areas of their business, Mm. right? So you can imagine, Mike, like if I'm a great coach, I'm not a good marketer. Okay. Totally. So yeah. all of a sudden I had a surplus of customers and I could go to a coach and say, Hey, I think you're world-class at this. But that being said, I have a very specific approach to how I do it because I'm not a therapist. We recommend therapists all the time to our clients because they're dealing with, you know, divorce, you know, challenges with their marriage or challenges with their health or whatever. Like we're here to do one thing and it's get your results inside your software company. And that's the core metric. We literally, just like any software company should measure customer success and pull back wins and celebrate those wins. And, you know, we do that. So like at the end of the day, it's revenue growth. It's efficiency Mm -hmm. of revenue growth. It's about the quality of your time. We have these things called five dials and we measure each one of those dials to make sure they're moving up and to the right. So the coaches didn't need to, you know, there's, I mean, as you mentioned, this is an unregulated market and there's a lot of people that think they're great. And I think there are great coaches. So we have a process for recruiting. We have a process for qualifying and we have a process for training. We even have a head coach that monitors all the calls to ensure that every coach is singing from the same song sheet, right? Mm. 
but that's that's how I build companies. It's no different than if I'm building a sales process or I'm building a coaching process or I'm building a recruiting process. Like it's systems, scorecards, monitoring, inspect what you expect. And um, and I think when you look at it through that lens of the replacement ladder from the buyback principle, it almost seems obvious in hindsight. Of course, this is what's going to happen because, you know, the, 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 the fortunate part about the work I do is I have a huge audience. I mean, there's only about 150,000 SaaS founders in the world, right? Hmm. I have 70,000 followers on my YouTube channel, you know, half a million on TikTok, which is weird to me, but like uh, almost 100,000 on Instagram. So like I have the audience of SaaS founders available. Then it's really just like what percent want coaching, right? That's why there's no doubt in my mind that we'll have three, four, five thousand clients um, because we're going to build the best product in the world for for them. Yeah. Um, it's never going to stop because of the way you know I think of continuous and never-ending improvement. And um, the other cool part is the way we create our new curriculum. So every month we create a new growth playbook. It's extracted from our community. Hmm. So think of it that way. There's this built-in. Uh, feedback loop of growth playbooks. So for example, last month, um, we designed a growth playbook around um, sales enablement for value-added resellers, for VARs, for partners, right? How do you how do you create an agreement and a structure to uh, enable a sales process when they don't work for you, when it's through mm-hmm. a partnership? But that was created from seven of my clients that all have world-class enablement processes extracted from my learning curriculum person, and then tested on a pilot group. And then once it was refined, packaged up, and I taught it to all my clients. Interesting. So, yeah. yeah. So the learning curriculum person, this person is basically in charge of the feedback from the most successful SaaS companies you're working with to say, let's, if you didn't have that person, for instance, value would be flowing one way. You know, it's not flowing back to the organization, which in order to deliver value, you have to create it. And it's so creating it ways. by yeah. get it. So our coaches identify clients that are winning in certain areas and they log that in the CRM, right? Mm. Uh, clients share their wins every month. So we identify ones that are winning in certain areas. So that's logged in the CRM. And um, every event we do, we always tap, I think it's six clients per event to share a 10-minute tactic. So that's logged, right? And in the Facebook group, people are answering questions all the time. So like, for example, one of my clients, Reg at Stormboard, you know, like anytime somebody talks about SOC 2 compliant, Reg is the dude answering all the questions. So if I wanted to create a SOC 2 compliance framework, I literally, you know, my learning person will go in. And, and so what we do is every year, based on the ACES model and the accelerators that I teach, we identify what are the gaps in the current world. So that's why like, it's fun for me because I know my coaching clients will always have access to the most powerful frameworks that's working in the market right now. Yeah. Because as soon as it starts to work for anybody amongst my hundreds of clients, we grab it, package it up, teach it to everybody. And that's just kind of the, you know, when I, when people ask me like, who do you like to work with? Ambitious and generous. Those are my two words. If Mm. you're an ambitious and generous founder, I'm the right place for you. If you are not, do not come to my program. I will pour rocket fuel in your Volkswagen and it will explode. Okay. Yeah. But if yeah. you're if you're a good dude or good dudette and you wanna you want support in growing really fast, I think we've got the best thing out there. Yeah. Uh I want to ask you two two more things come to mind. <clears throat> One is do you let's let's compare SaaS for a second. So SaaS is a very rigid set of 
uh, tactics that work because of the nature of how the business model is structured, paying for software, software as a service. So I'm delivering software to people, they're paying me, then there's distribution methods, there's sales tactics, there's product interfaces, you know, there's many different, like you said, you model that out, you have a machine, so to speak, I don't know if you'd use that word, but there's a, a model there. Are there other could you have you thought about or are there other models for other domains? I, for instance, I'm I'm more familiar with service based marketplaces. Uh, so I think I'll, I've started two companies. Um, we have raised 25 million, had 200 employees for service based marketplaces. So I th- I've thought a lot about them, the dynamics of how people find you, what makes you attractive versus a, a local independent agency and someone doing something. And I haven't gone as far as to think of the the structured model and sort of tear it out. But uh, I've written some articles and, and thought about the patterns that make various service-based marketplaces work and what are the specifics of each that create variables like pricing, um, lifetime value of a customer. They're different than SaaS, but they're, they have parallels. And I'm curious if you've gone down other domains uh, or if you, if you believe that there are models to be discovered in different areas so the way I think about it is 80% of business is just fundamental good best practices, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, when you say, well, you've chosen B2B SaaS, right? Well, that's just, that's just good business, right? Like niches are in the rich, you're in riches are yeah, in the niches, yeah. right? Sure. So um, what's, and then there's that 20% that's specific to the, the model you're implementing, right? So like, an e-commerce model applied to a SaaS model wouldn't work because there's just dynamics about, you know, product cost and 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 go to markets and revenue engines that you just you can't model because they don't make sense, right? Right. But when you like, for example, when you have you know a model that's predicated on retaining a customer, if you don't have a department called customer success that yeah. is designed to activate and engage and retain a customer, then you know, no matter how much marketing, there will always be this growth ceiling to your success because, you know, there's a point where the percentage of customers you're losing outweighs the percentage that you're adding that new starts and you just hit the ceiling. That's usually for, for the most part, um, specific to SaaS, right? So mm. that's that, you know, can it, can 80% of what I teach be applied to every business owner? hundred percent. And that's why I have my Instagram. Like literally my Instagram is personal development, motivation. It's for the, it's for the 13 year old kids that I coach in my nonprofit. Okay. But for the most part, when it comes to the YouTube content and very much on the coaching, it's a hundred percent focused on one type of business, which is SaaS, B2B SaaS. And that's why like, you know, because of that focus, if you want to hire another coach, you can, but it's very rare. You'll find somebody that specializes in just that. And there's nuances. That's, Mm. that's just the reality, right? When you're struggling on making decisions, um, you know, I know for me, I've had coaches that were not in the tech space and they were great, but man, if I could get the caliber of coaching plus the industry experience, that would have made it a magical experience. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate the riches are in the niches, uh, heuristic that really does, I, I think ring true because it's, it's like you can give away 95, 99% of the content. Dude, it doesn't matter what, what you're teaching. It could be flexibility. It could be anything, you know, woodworking, you give away 95% and people will crave that extra 5%. It's like that, the forbidden, not the forbidden, but the exclusive, the, the extra little bit is, it makes sense. Logically, it's the thing that other people don't have access to. 100%. Um, my, my belief is that we give 100% away of everything that we teach and coach. And 
people will come to us for the context. So if you go on my mm. YouTube, if you if you're like, man, I want to learn from Dan, go watch every one of my YouTube videos, and you will get access for the most part to 100% of the ideas that I have. Now, do you get the workbooks and the frameworks and the case studies and the mm-hmm. mindset stuff? Nope. Um, do you get the community? No. Do you get the context coaching? No. Do you get the Facebook group? No. But if you just want knowledge, it's there. So I, I actually think it's not even 95%. Give away 100% yeah. of the how and people will come for you for implementation support or context. Mm. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, how long were you building the coaching business, uh, SAS Academy before you started high speed ventures where you're, you're buying and creating? I, I never, yeah, I never thought of doing high speed. It was, it came apparent to me three years into the, so I've been doing coaching now for five years and probably two years ago was when I started to see the potential, right? Because I was coaching so many of my clients going through an exit. And then I'd be like, man, I'd buy your business, you know, but I wasn't mm. set up to buy it. Like I didn't have a team to be able to operate and, and run it. And, um, so last year I decided to uh, partner up with one of my previous clients that exited his company, uh, Matt Burlack, a brilliant dude. And he became a business partner in high speed. And then we just quickly moved, acquired our first company, body shop booster. And we're just like, literally right now I'm hiring, like I said, an acquisition person to kind of increase the velocity of that. Um, but yeah, like that, that to me is, just almost like a dojo of training to extract even more frameworks and, and strategies that I can apply to my coaching. So they're completely separate mm. businesses, but both of them are really important to my life. And honestly, outside of writing books, which I'm, I'm starting on my first right now, and I plan to write dozens, um, that will probably be my career. Ah. So at this point, we're going to end the podcast. Unfortunately, the last five or six minutes weren't able to be salvaged. Dan had some technical issues with headphones and we weren't able to keep the remaining podcast recording. So Dan was a fantastic guest. I really enjoyed the conversation. The last few minutes were really about his vision for the future of high-speed ventures and how they are tactically growing, buying and growing companies. So if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. And I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 